0: Welcome to Poop Bags and Other Necessities, a podcast all about dogs for dog lovers, brought to you by the mother, daughter, breeding, training, and coaching team of Rebecca Pinkston and Suzanne Shelton. I'm Suzanne Shelton, and I hope you'll join us as we talk about all aspects of the dog world, from the light and funny to the intense and in-depth. So welcome, Katie. So today we are talking with Katie Sippel of Wise Mind Canine about dog-to-dog relationships. And this is a subject that Katie helps me with a lot because we have quite a few dogs here and we have quite a few relationships that we need to manage, as well as just living in a busy multi-dog household. So welcome, Katie.
1: Yeah, thank you for having me. I love this subject, so I'm excited to talk about it with you today.
0: I always like talking about this kind of stuff with you because you have such practical things that I can do so selfishly. I like that. And it's made a huge difference in how we are able to work with the number of dogs that we have. Um, because we do. We have everything from puppies to old dogs. Uh, we have males and females, and we have a lot of populations. So um, anything that we can do that makes things work better and that keeps our dogs having good relationships be um, super worthwhile. And so you've been a godsend uh, for us.
1: Well, thank you. Yeah, I get really excited uh, hearing your feedback on things just because you have an opportunity to test my, you know, my methods on so many dogs.
0: Yes. And this is your specialty. It is. Yeah. Yeah. You get to deal with people like me all the time that have multi dog stress. Yes, I definitely spend a lot of
1: my time sorting out what this looks like when things go really wrong. So when I do get to work with people like you, where it's only, you know, you have a little bit of a question, it's it's kind of fun.
0: Yes, we're very blessed in that our dogs are um, extremely good-natured and very forgiving of the kind of lifestyle that we lead with them and um, the information that we've gotten and implemented from you over the last years has been um a real game changer around here as far as helping our dogs not only get along together which is important and great but actually enjoy each other um so much more and when they genuinely enjoy each other and have really good feel and a really strong bond each dog with all the other dogs uh, it really changes everything um really does i it really it just It's You can't even tell people, right, like how it changes the whole direction.
1: Sure. I think a lot of people, when they add another dog to their home, they have this dream, right, of dogs who cuddle together and play together and live together in harmony. And what I think too many people are ending up with is either dogs who just simply tolerate each other or on the, the more negative end of dogs who can barely live together.
0: Right, they've lost their tolerance of each other. Exactly, and that, you know, that that used to be what we considered good, right? And myself, I mean, and and we didn't have as much um, knowledge, and we didn't have all these great tools to to help us actually impact the emotion of the dogs. So the best we could hope for was, you know tolerate each other and don't cross the line into doing bad dog things and at some point that just always seems to not work out <laughs>
1: just, you're it, definitely, it, yeah you're you're walking a fine line when you live with dogs who simply tolerate each other because you're you know you're one bad pain incident bad interaction away from tilting into that negative direction so if we can influence the dogs to right. guard each other positively, to actually enjoy each other. That's protective for you know your state of enjoyment of your household and your life.
0: Yeah. It, and it it it's it's just as amazing things for the dog's willingness to forgive each other, the sort of day-to-day little irritants that that frankly we all have when we live with with other creatures. Right. Um so it's, it's amazing work, and you do such an exceptional job of it. I want to talk a little bit, because as a breeder, you know, one of my biggest fears is that I send a puppy home to a home with a dog, and that dog will injure that puppy. And it's just, I think it's something every breeder is terrified of.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think it's a really fair fear, too, because it is not uncommon for me to be taking those cases and working with them to try and save the placement. So right. it, it's definitely a legitimate worry. Yeah,
0: it is, and it should be. I mean, I mean, obviously, when you're sending puppies home, you're in a very delicate, emotional position because you feel all of the attachment to this little baby animal. And you're you're so concerned that they're going to go into the new environment, something bad's going to happen, and it's going to be your fault. You sent them, right? So I want to talk about some of the things that we can do as breeders that are going to increase the chances that that puppy goes into that home and then ideally lives 10, 15 years with maybe a variety of housemate dogs coming and going through their lifetime you know what can we do as breeders to um do everything within our power to see that, that the dog that we place grows up and and has good dog skills. you know what i mean like can uh, no i we help I, prepare them for this. i
1: i love that question and i I have been kind of working to try and get more conversations with breeders or shelters or rescues who are placing puppies going to kind of be proactive uh, even before that puppy comes home to prepare them for a new home. Uh, One of the first things you have to think about is like you have these litters growing up in your home and many of you have you know, a large number of other dogs who could potentially be interacting with these puppies during these critical developmental stages. So that first thing I want people to do is think about which of my dogs is actually good for these puppies.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's so important because we see so many videos, I know I do, Mm -hmm. of dogs interacting with, with young puppies that are obviously stressed and irritable and using a lot of aggression with the puppies.
1: Yeah, I think there's this myth that dogs need to physically correct each other. And that is just something that, you know, we need to allow and accept. Like there, there is a certain amount of normal dog-dog communication, but when we're talking about very young puppies without social skills, you're gonna want to pair them with dogs in your home that are very patient, that are very communicative, where instead of you know getting annoyed by a puppy and I'm going to snap in your face it's like I'm annoyed by you I'm going to turn my head away
0: mm-hmm. I'm going
1: to move my body away these dogs who give so many good calming signals that you know can start to teach that puppy what body language really means
0: yes uh, it's 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 such a good point and you know I have here we have- and and i think it's more than just the nannies because i think there's also this myth that every dog that's able to reproduce is somehow also gifted with the wisdom to raise puppies well right um, like magically when the puppies pop out all of a sudden this dog is now not an irritable cranky carmudgeon that doesn't like puppies, <laughs> the dog is now magically gifted with all of the skills they need to be really, really good with those puppies, not only as infants, but also as they start to move around. And it is, it is just not true or accurate. There are, just like in humans, there are mothers that are very, very good And there are mothers that aren't. And often, if you really look at it, the mothers that are very, very good have tremendous support. You know, they themselves were raised by a very good, caring, skilled mother. And they had good, caring, skilled nannies. So when that puppy grows up, it it has this learning to impart on the raising of its own puppies. But the reverse is also true. If we have a mother... Who is not good with her puppies because she is stressed or she's locked in with them, she feels trapped, or even her diet isn't right. So she's feeling um, agitated from that, as lactating mothers can, then now she may be taking that out of the puppies. Definitely, I I
1: think like it's very important to consider in all dog interactions. Whenever you're talking about multi dog household, whether it's mothers and puppies or just two dogs who live together, that we're focusing on the overall well being of these animals. Because if we don't do that, if we have things like you were just mentioning, you know, health items or you know, dietary items, that dog just feel good. They're not bringing their best self into these interactions with other dogs. So this is where we need to, you know, as the humans who can consider these things, you know, set these dogs up for success to be, you know, the very best, uh, housemates or mothers that they can be.
0: Yes. Yeah. So we, you know, basically what you're saying is we need to be careful what dogs we're allowing to interact with our puppies and how we're setting that up. Like we need to be, we need to be treating that deliberate thing we do, not just, um, well, the puppies are turned out in the yard with a bunch of dogs to get exercise.
1: Exactly. You need to be thoughtful about curating the kinds of experiences you want these puppies to have in order to give them their best chance at being open to being social with a new dog in their new home.
0: Right, because they are gonna carry that learning um, into the transition to to their new home. Um, And then what about like how the puppies get along together? And, you know, do we need to be observing, sort of how the puppies are playing, you know, sometimes when I look at litters of puppies, it's it's almost like it's the Lord of the Flies. Yes. And you know, the puppies are fighting with each other. They may be bullying each other. And you know, that that's something I think that that there's more awareness of that among breeders now than there used to be. But I still see that um people aren't aware that just putting puppies in a pen together leaving them isn't boring for puppies and they they may be learning things you don't want them to learn exactly we don't want to put puppies into a position
1: where they are regularly learning that they need to use defensive behaviors to protect themselves
0: yeah because they'll 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 then that'll be their go-to card right that even when there may be adults, they'll, they'll continue to do that. I guess that could be said for like puppy playgroups too.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. You you really need to go to a playgroup that is carefully monitored and does, you know, knowledgeable pairings of which puppies are going to be enjoying each other using things like consent tests to ask the dogs, you know, are we having a good time or are we not?
0: Yeah. So that's like a consent test. That's, That's, that's a way that like a puppy kindergarten instructor can determine, I guess, if, if two puppies want to play together or.
1: um. Yeah. So in a consent test, what you would do is you would see two puppies playing. You either have a suspicion that one of the puppies is not enjoying themselves or see that puppy trying to take space or displaying signs of fear. Or maybe the play has just gotten a little out of hand, and you want to slow it down for a second. So you're going to take the the most gregarious puppy, and you're going to just gently hold them back, and you're mm-hmm. going to watch the response of the other puppy and see what they do. Does that puppy, you know, come back in to close the distance and try to reinitiate play? Then keep going. Mm-hmm. Uh, And if they're actively taking space and trying to leave, well then, you know, these two are not good playmates right now and we need to stop this interaction.
0: Oh, that's so clever. So you basically, what you're saying is you can actually just sort of interrupt the play and then observe what the participants do.
1: Yeah, and I think that's a little easier for a lot of pet owners too, because you know you're not always sure about the body language, but it can be really clear if a dog is leaving an interaction or not.
0: Right, or they're they're like, whoo, glad that's glad we've had a little break here." Exactly. <laughs> yeah, so it's like, ah, "I enjoyed the party, but maybe it's it's time to to go." Right. Um, so I, I in you know, in play groups and puppy play groups,
1: you have more options for separating them. But when you have an li- entire litter of puppies, like I recognize that you have a weaning pen, you have spaces for them. So there yeah. are some things that you can do if you're seeing a lot of bullying going on. And Suzanne, I took definitely some inspiration from some of your content when thinking about this. So I'm yeah. sure. Uh, but just in general, like, are there needs met? check in with yourself. Like, have you been providing enough enrichment? Are they getting exercise? Are they getting, you know, the attention that they need on an individual basis?
0: You know, giving them space. I think it's so important not to feel helpless. Like, you know, these puppies are just, oh, you know, I don't know what to do, but to reach out to somebody like you, or me and like you know how can we reduce tension because there are things that we can do and I love the idea of the play consent and I think that's something you know a breeder can so easily do that right um even in a litter setting because it's uh, the younger puppies like that are so easy to distract it's very easy to distract them separate them a little bit and then see what they choose to do so i think that's that's a great idea that i i think is easily integrated into some of the ways that we can decrease tension among litter mates Um, and i think it's really important so i know a question that is interesting to me german shepherds in general um, my dogs in particular, um, are not resource guarding dogs. And that, that doesn't mean that my dogs never exhibit possessive behavior because, um, mm-hmm. uh, my dogs are fully fledged whole individuals with opinions and, designs, and they may actually have an opinion about keeping a resource and express that <laughs> as, um, Using their language, right? We we know what this looks like, and it's not a it's not a problem for me that my dogs do this because they um, respect each other's um, communication. And if it's if it's a problem, then of course we step in and give that dog privacy with their item. But um, I think it's interesting because people often will say, and I've wondered about this, you know, if the puppies are fed together, they will be resource guarding uh, dogs that resource guard against other dogs. Mm -hmm. And I I think that's interesting because what that tells me is that breeders actually do struggle with their puppies fighting over items.
1: Yeah, I think, well, we can start with the food situation. So I, I know that there are certain developmental stages where like the, they're unlikely to have scuffles over that large shared dish, but as they're getting older, you can use feeding time as an opportunity to practice crating, separate out into their individual spaces with their food. You can yeah. think of it not only as preventing, you know, just unneeded stress regarding resources. You can also think about it when these puppies go home into new multi-dog households where they don't have relationships with the existing dogs these puppies really to be safe and to avoid tension between those two parties really need to be eating in their crates anyway or in an exercise yeah. pen in, in their own space
0: it's a wise investment of time i think to feed puppies in crates once they're old enough right um, to do that yeah now that can prevent so much tension, and I think that um, I think that's a good idea for multi dog households in general, um, especially dogs that have a history um, of resorting to aggression. Because you have to remember, when you bring that puppy home, if if that puppy has already learned that they need to fight to retain access to resources. They're going to bring that with them to your home.
1: Absolutely. And I think I'll get on a soapbox for a minute. Like as someone who deals with 90% of their clients are dealing with very serious expressions of resource guarding that are not normal dog communication, wanting to keep a resource, but rather like a willingness to get into a fight over an item. Right. Uh, Like I cannot emphasize enough just creating situations where puppies feel comfortable that resources both are available to them they don't live in a in a situation of scarcity because what I see sometimes now is I see puppies coming you know from situations where large amounts of dogs live together all the time and Mm -hmm. in order to avoid tension between animals in their own homes. The breeders are not really providing toys, chews, all of these other things. And so what can kind of happen is that these puppies go into pet homes where they do have those things out in the environment on a regular basis. And these puppies have not experienced enough of that. And so they are so thrilled and so excited about the value of these things that they are, in fact, at young ages, willing to guard them and willing to you know even go for as
0: the right yeah they're so overwhelmed with the availability of resources that they are actually willing to to throw down mm-hmm. in order and and i think that's an interesting point is You know, we want to make sure there's lots of reasons why puppies need enriched environments. Um, We know that there are tremendous cognitive benefits to having an environment that is changing and has lots of available self-directed activities that puppies can do. And that includes, of course, having a variety of resources And I know that breeders try so hard to prevent puppies from bickering about things. And part of that, I want to say to breeders, we need to be addressing through selective breeding. Um, This is something we have in our power. Just like we can improve structure, we can certainly improve behavioral tendencies. Behavioral tendencies are in our purview to apply our breeder skills too so we should be doing that if we are seeing that dogs are inheriting such a predisposition to guarding resources that simple normal day-to-day resources in an, a resource rich environment are still being guarded you know these aren't stray dogs that have had the battle for every meal these are these are puppies that have been cherished since they were born mm-hmm. and provided with the things they need, so they shouldn't feel the need to throw down over a bone, right? right? So I think that we, we need to make sure that puppies are having access to a variety of resources so that they are not starved for those things. And so that they can learn from their siblings, normal um, rules about having something if somebody has something you can ask them for it using your dog language and if they don't want to give it to you you can just wait and they'll get tired of it and you can have it later and you know all sorts of interesting behavior that we can see with dogs about around resources um, the other not. I had by accident some of the puppies' hooves, cow hooves that we give to little puppies, but not really to adult dogs because um, they're too strong. They can shatter them. So a couple of the adult dogs had found the cow hooves and had gotten them. And so I have, you know, 10 dogs in this little room, adult dogs, and I have two hooves. And they had them for the longest time before I knew what they had. (laughs) And, you know, at some point you're like, that really smells. What is going on? Yeah, It's a cow hoof. Well, okay, the puppies have cow hooves, but this smells in this room. And, you know, the interesting thing about it was there was a dog chewing on the cow hoof. And then there were like five dogs that wanted that cow hoof. And there was absolutely no aggression. There was no stress about it. There was no nothing. The dog got tired of the hoof. They would get up, and walk away from it, and another dog would go pick it up and chew on it.
1: And that's really what we want to see is that dogs come out of, you know, breeders' homes or if you're raising puppies for a shelter or a rescue with these social communication skills that keep things from escalating
0: to into aggression. Right. It's... It- Dogs do have a rich set of skills and they can negotiate, they can do so much more than we think, but they can't do that if their default response is to jump from, you know, I have something and now I, I have to I have to escalate to aggression in order to keep this. And I think from our breeder side, we need to be working on this with breeder skills and also with our puppy raising skills, giving our puppies lots of opportunities to learn how to negotiate, how to take no for an answer, and that it's not the end of the world if you don't get something right away. There's more. And if right you,
1: away. yeah, and if you experience that you're having puppies who can't do that negotiation, like you are absolutely able to intervene and help them listen to each other. Like you can see two yeah two puppies not figuring this out, you know, over, let's just say they have a cow hoof and they're, they're having an issue with it. They're not figuring it out. You can, you can interrupt them and you can help them. And it's okay. We do not need to leave the dogs to work it out when they don't have the social skills or the cognitive ability to make good decisions.
0: Yes. See, this is where breeders can and should be reaching out to somebody like you. And, and getting more tools imported into their own toolbox. Because we're all going to see that, right? We're all going to have either a breed that is notoriously not good at sharing, or we're going to have an individual puppy yeah. that just, he, you know, he or she just struggles with this. And I think the thing to remember, is that there is help. And what... What we want to avoid doing is sort of letting the dogs fight it out, especially with puppies. Yes. And we also want to avoid just becoming afraid to give them anything. Um, Right. Yeah. Going
1: so far in that other direction can create the same problem that you're trying to avoid. It, might,
0: it might not be the, for
1: you, but it'll be a problem
0: for your, your placements. That's exactly what I was going to say. You've passed the buck. Yes. Um, to the To the next owner. And we have a unique opportunity when we're dealing with young puppies because the things that we do with young puppies are incredibly impactful.
1: I think and, the other surprising thing for people is that when you have the puppies in your care, you really need to think about also working on those trades to protect from, you know, the human resource guarding. Because what I'm seeing when I'm dealing with a lot of my aggression cases between dogs in the home is that these dogs, if they have, you know, human-directed resource guarding, it can easily jump to the other dog in the
0: home. Interesting. Yes, because dogs do learn from each other. Yes. They, they, they're observant learners. Um, And I, of course, agree completely. This is something that um, the puppy raising protocol that we use, puppy culture, has really good um, uh, progression for breeders to start with a resource guarding prevention, which, of course, trading is the baby step of that often. And it's amazing how impactful the concept of trading is. Um, it's, it's just one of those s- simple, simple things that we can do that has a huge impact later. Um, so, I think that this preventing resource guarding in young puppies is another one of those areas where breeders can really make a huge impact. Both in, in dogs getting along with their owners, but also in dogs being able to get along together. Exactly. Uh, yeah. And then I think the other thing that I wanted to touch on for breeders is, and this is something that's not intuitive because breeders tend to think that their dogs are. I know I think this, I don't know if all breeders think this, you know, my dogs are in a pen, so they are automatically good with confinement, right? Like they, they'll be great in the new home. And, you know, we have started putting a lot of work into. Conditioning the puppies to crates and conditioning them the idea of confinement. Now, I personally am not a big advocate of excessive confinement for baby puppies. So I'm not one of those people that that feels like puppies need to be locked in crates, but to prepare for you know moving on to their next home. But I think this is something that is a common common struggle is when you get that puppy in the new home and there's other resident dogs there, the ideal thing is that the dogs can be, can, can be separated. Yes. And And that's, that's a lot of that. There's all kinds of ways that that can look, you posted a great um, post the other day and I'll put a link to it in the show notes that had all the different, um, separation tools like gates and crates and all these things and but that doesn't work if both parties can't be separate can't can't be separated behind a barrier it's a really tough thing
1: when one or both sets of dogs cannot be separated from each other I think because what I really do is I advocate for people to do a slow and proper introduction That means you're curating the experiences that these two dogs have of each other. You're not throwing them in a room and letting them work it out. You're not letting them fight it out over conflict. You're bringing them together at very specific instances to have positive interactions, and then you're separating them. And it's not just for, you know... um, it's not just for the dogs it's for the pet owners that you're sending right. puppies home to they they cannot manage dog interactions 24
0: 7. yep they
1: need to be able to take a break they need to be able to you know monitor the arousal of the interaction the dog and give them a break from each other that adult dog in the home might not enjoy a puppy a lot of the time and they're going to need their own space so giving them at least one half of the equation that can do relatively well in, you know, an exercise pen or a gated off room or a crate, even just for short periods is a real
0: boon for them. Yes. uh, You know, it's, it's such a good point you made that the owners uh, can be so fatigued. Um, They've got their new puppy. They're dealing with everything that goes along with that new new puppy and it might be a new dog maybe they've adopted an an older dog but that doesn't mean that there is not a ton of work and it's tiring and you're setting up schedules and you're working on potty training and and chewing and feeding and pottying and is all of the stuff, and then in addition to this, you're trying to observe and balance these two dogs together. And I think this is, this is, it it just becomes so much of a burden that people stop being careful and thoughtful from exhaustion.
1: Yeah, I mean, I remember the first time, the very first time I brought another dog into my home and I became a multi-dog household. And it was chaos because I didn't know the things that I know now. And now, you know, years and years later, I bring Fisher home from your breeding program. He's a young puppy. It was the easiest dog integration I've ever had. Like there can be some resistance from people like, I don't want to use gates. I don't want to use exercise pens. I don't want to use doors, et cetera. But, you know, it's really for your sanity. I promise you. I,
0: I. Change is hard. Yeah, it, it just is and and it's okay to feel that way like I just don't want to do this. Mm-hmm. But there's also trust there. Like trust the process. It it will be so much easier. <laughs> and and so much less stressful and the outcome will be so much better if you front load the work.
1: I think that that's really critical what you just said because we need to prevent bad things from happening. Exactly. Uh, Because the reality is, is that if you don't introduce dogs carefully and you do have some behavioral complications, you might not see the end result of those things of tension between your puppy and your adult dog until a year from now or
0: 15 months
1: from now. But when you see it, it's not going to be pretty and you're going to need those gates and you're going to need all of those strategies anyway and it's going to be emotional and
0: taxing and not yeah. a enjoyable process yeah because what what can happen is you're not going to see the real fallout from those unpleasant punishing interactions until the younger dog reaches puberty yeah and becomes a teenager and becomes larger and more powerful, but also really impulsive, as teenagers are. Yeah, And then it, it's all going to break down. And it doesn't happen every time, obviously, because lots of people have dogs and do everything wrong, and dogs are so wonderful, they absorb it and they go on. But yeah. that's a big gamble. It's a big gamble, because you can't always take back those really bad experiences that that animals can have it can poison a relationship it, it and can and
1: it's it's a heroic effort to try and repair it
0: yes and and often those efforts are very fruitful and they're worth doing and trying but oh my goodness if we can prevent the need for it by You're
1: preaching to the choir here I would love yeah. that. Love to do that for more people,
0: yes, absolutely. I've got a dog actually growling in the background. <laughs> <Good> <laughs> Can you hear that zap? <laughs> Leave my pen alone. I want to take a nap. Um, <laughs> she, she woke up, she, she's a slow waker-upper. Um, well, so, I and you I, know, so older, and that's a, a really good thing I want to touch on as we're talking about um gates and and controlling contact between dogs which is sometimes we we forget that the the resident dog didn't ask for the puppy yes and the resident dog may be an older dog may have aches and pains that the owner's not even aware of because dogs are so good at hiding their aches and pains and how they feel, and they can't verbally tell us, right? Oh, you know, my knee today, it's just creaking because a cold front's coming in or, or, you know, my teeth are sore um, because, you know, dogs don't brush their teeth as much as people and, you know, whatever it is. But what's gonna happen is you, a lot of people like to get a puppy when their dog is becoming a senior Mm -hmm. and what they forget about is when that puppy is at its most difficult as an adolescent, their dog's not going to be becoming a senior. Their dog's going to be a senior. Right. And being able to separate them can really preserve the quality of life for your older. Absolutely. And I I think being able to,
1: you know, call an adolescent dog away from a senior who could be experiencing pain is just so important because those moments where uh the younger dog kind of initiates pain from the older dog. Maybe they they jostle them too hard or they hit a back that's really sore. Yeah, that sometimes is the first time you see a dog fight, depending yep. on the degree of pain and the relationship that they've already built during their time together.
0: Yeah, it's and it's it's not that the older dog is a bad dog or no. that the younger dog is a bad dog. You know, here's the thing um, the the younger dogs aren't aren't always intuitively careful. And of course, they're not. How do they know? I mean, if we don't know the older dog is uncomfortable, how is a, a young dog going to know that? And. The older dogs are often trying so hard to be tolerant. I think that when they finally kind of lose their patience, Mm -hmm. it can be quite, quite a sight. It can. And and that's when you're going to see the innate ability of the dog, right? Does the dog have an ability to lose their temper without losing their temper all the way? Yeah. The answer to that question is
1: not always enjoyable. (laughs)
0: It's not. And, you know, it, it's one of those things that breeders, we don't, we don't necessarily think about that when we're breeding, but we need to be. We need to be thinking about things like, can, you know, is a dog able to kind of get mad and not lose his mind? Like if I accidentally have to palpate a sore leg, mm-hmm. is my dog going to be willing to a bite over that? Or is my dog going to be like, Hey, don't do that. That hurt. Um, and not like it, but not also lose their complete mind and all of their inhibitions. Yeah. (laughs) You know, so, and it's something that you may not know, like, like we were talking about a minute ago, you may not have any idea how your dog is going to respond in that situation until you're actually in it. And it's the difference between, a really loud altercation that scares everybody and results in a slobbery neck yeah, and an altercation that's really loud and scares everybody and ends up with dogs and humans going to the emergency room yeah um so it's 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 one of those things that we have to be careful and make abundant use of barriers as our dogs are getting older because they got along well when the dog was 10 doesn't mean that the twelve-year-old dog can handle that much activity.
1: Yeah, relationships and dogs are fluid, so you're never really done. You know, yeah. uh-huh. ending the relationship that your dogs have. Like, I have three dogs right now. Um, yeah. One of them is ten. She's been showing up, you know, a little painful in one of her back legs, and now suddenly she is very irritable. When my younger dog tries to climb up onto the couch with her. Yep. And it's because she hurts. Yep. So that's when I go as, you know, I, I'm not looking at either dog and saying, oh, you're bad. You're wrong. You shouldn't growl. Now I'm going, all right, we need to go to the vet and we need to address pain before yep. that becomes a larger issue. Right.
0: Yes. It's, i. it's such, such an important thing. You said, um relationships between dogs are fluid they are they are a changing and growing thing and i think that is where both the hope lies that we can impact really positive change for our dogs in their relationships and also the the caution yeah. um, which is a really good relationship can go south if we are not acting like the adults of- um, we're responsible as caregivers uh, to be to managing these dogs and and I think a lot of times no one thinks about that until they they have multiple dogs right And it's kind of part and parcel to a contract you sign with your dog when you add that second dog um, yes. that you can be able to do this. So I think that, there's, you know, I want to talk about one more thing, and then maybe we can actually talk more about this from the pet owner side, the, sure. the pet owner side. But I wanted to talk about something that um, really, it's just such a big, it's such a big subject, but it's one that breeders really fuss about, and and that is making placement decisions for puppies. Okay. Yeah. You know, so, you know, this is, and this is, this is something breeders just worry about and stress about. And, and it's, it's, it's part of the work of being a breeder. So it's worth fussing about, right? Which is we need to be deciding, first of all, who we're going to sell a puppy to. Yeah. And second of all, once we have decided that we that someone is a good home for one of our puppies, an appropriate home for one of our puppies. How do we pick a litter that's gonna work for them? And how do we balance um, then picking an individual puppy? There's like three layers there. Yeah. From my mind, you know, there's is somebody right for my breeding program? If they are, which litter is going to be the best litter for them? And then within a litter on the micro scale, which individual puppy here, um, and usually it's, it's does a puppy have a particular trait that I think would be a problem? It doesn't mean that that trait's permanent. Right. Because puppies are, are, are not the done deal, right? They're not done cooking. They're not finished. So a lot of things that puppies do, that puppy doesn't do in a month, but still. <laughs> Well, I'm
1: so glad you mentioned that because really like we, we all trainers know, breeders know that these puppies are fluid, but look at what you have right now that you're about to send home. If you have a puppy that's been, you know, (laughs) you know, trying your nanny dogs a little bit and being a little more challenging, or you've seen a lot of bullying in the weaning pen, that's not the best puppy to send to the multi-dog household. Really. the deck in your pet owner's favor.
0: Yep. So
1: that they're not coming home and from day one they have
0: tension. Exactly. And you know, this is a it's a in it's a funny story because I I hate labeling puppies because mm-hmm. puppies are so fluid. They they will make a liar out of you every time. You'll say this puppy is this and a month later he's not that anymore. Exactly. I had a puppy in my zap litter that was one of the worst little monsters. <laughs> he he would wait outside the crates and every time I would get a puppy out of a crate after a meal, he would like jump all into that puppy. Mm-hmm. I mean teeth. And Grabbing him and and you know I got to where we had to remember to let him out of the crate last, but yeah. but then he'd be frustrated that he was you know he was building frustration the whole time, <laughs> so he'd come out and he'd be ten times worse. And I remember specifically that I I I had when Camille came out and looked at the litter, I was like, I have this one puppy. You like this puppy? I like this puppy. Here's the thing. He has this really entrenched behavior habit that he's doing now. I don't mm-hmm. think he's gonna do it forever. But if I put this puppy into a multi-dog home with a regular pet person, it'll be a problem. This is gonna he's gonna make such a bad impression. <laughs> and it is going to get that relationship off on the wrong foot. I knew if Camille took this dog, she would Camille charm him into not having this problem anymore because she is like Mary Poppins with puppies. She just is almost mythical in how she can take the most (laughs) difficult puppy and turn it into this angel dog. And so I knew if, if she and this puppy clicked, that his life would perfect and it has turned out that way because she did take him and she didn't worry about it at all cuz nothing bothers Camille he's <laughs> a solver right she just views everything as something to be fixed and she fixes it and goes on with her life but i knew if i put this puppy into a multi dog household or even a household where he was going to go to puppy kindergarten yeah that this was going to become a problem. And before he ever had a chance to outgrow it, it would become set. Yeah. So that- it's and the same thing goes for like a hard mouth. You can have the most charming puppy in the world, but if they have a naturally hard mouth at this age, then you have to think about that because in homes with children, the elderly, or homes with other pets. Yeah, you because do? They'll just they'll just bite somebody. They they don't mean it bad. That's just they have a hard mouth right now and they'll outgrow it. But but it doesn't matter, right? Right. It it it's definitely fun.
1: pays to know the, the, the kind of home and the and the kind of person that you're sending this puppy home to.
0: Yeah. It's not that we're saying that that eight week old puppy is X and that's now his label for forever and we're forever right. going to view him as being bad with dogs or whatever. It's that today, right, this snapshot
1: it, in time, this right. is what we have and it's yep. it's going to make someone's life harder to the point where it's going to impact their their relationship with their puppy and yep. the puppy's relationship possibly with the other dogs
0: in the home. Exactly and don't think that your puppy owners can just handle it if you tell them right because they're not i mean people like Camille are one in a million and the average puppy owner is is not going to be able to. they're going to have enough with everything else yeah they don't they don't need to be worrying about it so we're not looking for things like you know is this puppy dominant or is he just a a bad dog with other dogs we're just looking for where the puppy's at developmentally right now and i think a really good tip that you had here on the note you sent me was to look at how the puppy's interacting with the nanny yeah like
1: w- which puppies do your nanny dogs like
0: yep exactly which That's one's such are- a good tip right like just yeah. watch, watch like, your yeah watch your dogs you don't need a puppy aptitude test you do not watch how they are already interacting they're telling you just observe them with your nannies I think that's fantastic yeah like because
1: those puppies that are responding to like low level communication and disengaging those are great easy puppies for multi-dog households right now at this moment in time
0: exactly the the puppy that the puppy that that if if the nanny dog has a cow hoof And she's like, I'm not going to give this cow hoof to you right now. The puppy that stands four feet away and barks at her for 45 minutes, probably not the puppy to send to the multi-dog household. No. (laughs) You know, the puppy that's like, okay, well, I'm going to lay next to you and take a nap. And when you get up and leave the hoof, I'll take it. That puppy, (laughs) the one that you wouldn't notice.
1: Or that puppy who you hand them something good and they automatically want to bring it to another dog.
0: Yes.
1: They're like, I have great stuff. Do you want to be my friend and share my great stuff? That
0: is gold. Mm, that is
1: what yes. you sent home to me and it is wonderful.
0: Yeah. Yeah. This idea that we're going to play all together with things. Everything yeah. is more fun when we share it. And that. That does come, circling back around to your point about the resources, that comes from having abundant resources and having the right kind of them. So big things that puppies can share so that they can learn the value in playing together. Yeah. Right? The game is playing together. That's fun. The game is not taking the toy, running to a corner, and then guarding it, which is also fun. And there's nothing wrong with puppies playing different kinds of games, mm-hmm. but let's provide them with all kinds of ways to learn that actually play together and sharing resources is more fun. I love that. Yeah. yeah. I think that that goes to being thoughtful about what we're providing and that word that you're using that I love so much, which is curating.
1: Yeah. I I think that's that's a powerful thing that I want to give to pet owners and breeders, anyone raising puppies, that, like, this isn't something that happens to you. Like, your multi-dog household doesn't just have to shake out how it shakes out, and you're stuck with it. Like, you have so much power to kind of chart the course of where this is going. You just don't know that you have it.
0: Exactly. Exactly. It, this... You know, being able to work with somebody like you, this provides so many more options for anybody. I don't care if you're a breeder or a foster or just a, a dog lover who wants to have their life surrounded with dogs, which mm-hmm. I think, you know, I happen to think is pretty awesome. You know, when you have more tools and you can sort of, Um, rise above it and realize that you have the power to change things so that you can can change the outcome. You don't have to be a victim of just the sweeping wave of what the dogs are doing.
1: Right. Yeah. This household has to work for everyone that's in it. That's the only way that these placements are going to work. It's the only way that you know, you're actually going to enjoy your life with multiple dogs.
0: Right. Yes. And you know what? I think that's actually a great place to stop. <laughs> okay. Because I think that's really what, what everybody wants. Everybody wants, whether it's a breeder or an exhibitor or a dog owner, dog lover, foster, rescue, everybody wants a household environment where the dogs are living a good life, their best life, and so are the people. Yeah, and it, it's it's something that can seem unobtainable when you don't realize that there is help available. And so, what I want to do now is I want you to tell people how they can get reach you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: So you can find uh, my business Wise Mind Canine at wisemindcanine.com. Uh, canine is C-A-N-I-N-E instead of the other spelling. Uh, yep. And what I do is I focus on creating harmonious multi-dog households. It doesn't matter if you have two dogs, 10 dogs, anywhere in between. If you have, are just introducing dogs, if you are considering doing so, if your dogs are literally sending each other to the emergency vet, I work with the whole spectrum of just kind of resolving relationship issues between dogs and helping people feel more confident about their choices and their ability to create the multi-dog household that they love.
0: That's such good work. And you know what? It's a godsend that, that you're out there. Because you, being a specialist, this means that a person like me, a (laughs) multi-dog owner, can go and really get targeted help and advice.
1: Absolutely, yeah. This is what I do all day, every day.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And you live it. It's not like you don't have. I do, yeah. I've
1: got my three dogs running around here. And, you know, they're not. My older yeah. two are not
0: uncomplicated, but right, exactly.
1: they all have a, a good relationship and it's because I, I, I use the system that I help all of my clients use. Um, yeah.
0: so I, look, I, I uh, guess,
1: sorry, you know, it,
0: it feels like, you know, each of your dogs that you have had have really taught you different things. And they have a legacy that just continues on and on and helps so many other dogs. Yeah, um,
1: I think that that's definitely been a beautiful thing about the work I get to do because I definitely would not have gotten into this area if I hadn't, you know, been asking a lot of questions that didn't have answers. Right. Uh, were readily available to me. So I kind of had to figure them out.
0: <laughs> yes, and now you, now you can help others. And, and this is an area where there is, so much need that um, it's amazing that we have a resource like you. So I want to thank you. We didn't get to talk about everything, so we're going to have to come back. Okay. And, yeah. Um, we'll talk about things a little more from the pet owner side next time. Sounds great. Okay. Thanks. And bye. Bye. Let's continue the conversation. You can find us in all the usual places on the internet at our dog training website, com, our German Shepherd website, austerlitzshepherds.com, and on Facebook, on our Austerlitz Shepherds page, our Clickety Split Dog Training page, or in our group, Pandemic Puppy Raising Support Group.